Over the last two weeks, we followed the Israelites through the last part of their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. Two Sundays ago, we saw what happened when Moses was delayed on Mount Sinai and Aaron helped them to cast a golden calf to worship. And last Sunday, we looked at the story of Moses pleading with God to stay with the people, to accompany them all the way to the promised land. Following those stories, their journey toward the promised land continues. And today, we stand at the overlook with Moses. Above the plains of Moab, up on Mount Nebo, opposite the valley of Jericho, looking across into the land that the people of Israel are about to enter. Moses has come this far, but it has already been decided that he will not cross over into the promised land. Joshua has already been chosen and commissioned to take the people across the Jordan River. In this morning's scripture, when God says to Moses, you shall not cross over, it's not a surprise. In the chapters of Deuteronomy preceding this moment, the plan has already been outlined And Moses has already been told, so Moses is not shocked. But I wonder if he isn't somewhat sad. He's come this far. He's come all the way from starting out as an unlikely and reluctant leader to growing into his role as an unequaled prophet, as he is described in the closing verses of this morning's text. Along the way, he's confronted kings, he's represented the will and plans of God, he's cajoled and confronted and ultimately led a stiff-necked people on a perilous journey, and unlike any other prophet before or after, he's met God face to face. Forty years of exodus, of wandering, of learning and growing, and he's become a leader, an advocate, an inspiration. He's brought the people of Israel this far. With God's guidance, he's brought them this far. Sure, he's had moments of doubt and times when he questioned God a little further than God seemed to tolerate. Often he's stood up to the people, but sometimes he's given in too. He's been shaped by the journey as much as he's shaped it. He's come this far. But here at the overlook, he gets only a glimpse a far-off glimpse of a land he will not actually touch with his feet. It's not that he's worn out, that his legs are not strong enough to take him there. The scripture is clear to say that his sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated, or as Robert Alter translates the Hebrew, his eye had not grown bleary and his sap had not fled. In any case, the scripture is clear that he still has life left in him, but this is the end of his earthly journey. It's up to someone else. That has been made clear. So this is as far as he will come. He will see the promised land, but he will not go there. So I have to imagine that he is somewhat sad. Or am I wrong? Does he have a sense of completion? Does he feel like he's taken it as far as he could? Is he ready to hand things over, to step down from the place of responsibility? Is it enough for him that others will walk into the land flowing with milk and honey, even if he does not? Or 
Maybe his thoughts are overcome neither with sadness nor relief, but with uncertainty. After getting these unruly people to come all this way, once he's no longer in the picture, will the people stumble off the path? Will they lose their way like they have so often in the past? Lose their commitment, their loyalty, their trust, their courage? Will Joshua's leadership take them forward or will it not be enough? Maybe Moses is uncertain. Or maybe it isn't about his feelings at all. Maybe what he is thinking about as he looks out across the valley is the plan, the bigger picture. Maybe although he is important, he's been important, he is realizing that the point here is that no one is indispensable. We all have our role, our purpose, our contribution to make, but only for a season. And then when we are gone, even when we are gone, life goes on. We pray it does anyway. We don't pray just for ourselves to go on, but for life to go on. And for all the things that we treasure and value and believe in to go on. At my son Rainer's suggestion, he and I watched David Attenborough's documentary movie, A Life on Our Planet, one evening this week. Attenborough, the famed British naturalist at age 93, talks about his more than 60-year career exploring the planet and how he has witnessed the steep decline of the planet's biodiversity and what it means for our future. He says at one point in the film, this is my witness statement, the story of global decline in a single lifetime. The film opens with scenes of people leaving Chernobyl at the time of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in 1986. At the end of the film, the camera returns us to that scene, but this time with pictures of wild animals moving through the crumbling ruins of the city and trees crowding the tall, abandoned buildings. Attenborough observes that without human involvement, quote, the wild has reclaimed the space, the forest has taken over the city. He says, the truth is that with or without us, the natural world will rebuild. And left unsaid is that without us, its recovery is better, more vigorous. Without us, without human interference, human dominance, things come back into balance. Throughout the film, Attenborough makes the case that we are now standing at the overlook not of a promised land, but of our own human-created disaster on a planet-wide scale. Rising temperatures, changing weather, melting ice caps, overfishing, destruction of rainforests, rising population numbers, all happening at breakneck speed. As the film moves along, he marks different years of significance in his own life in terms of three planetary statistics. World population carbon in the atmosphere, and remaining wilderness. In 1937, when he was 10 years old and just starting to become interested in exploring nature, the world population was 2.3 billion. The carbon in the atmosphere was 280 parts per million, and the remaining wilderness was 66% of the globe. In 1954, when he started his career, the numbers were 2.7 billion in population, up from 2.3. 
310 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere, up from 280, and 64% wilderness remaining, down from 66%. In 1978, just two dozen years later, at the height of his career, 4.3 billion in population, 335 parts per million, 55% wilderness remaining. In 1997, when he was 70 years old, 5.9 billion in population, 360 parts per million of carbon, and 46% of wilderness remaining. And today, in the year 2020, 7.8 billion in population. 415 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and only 35% of the globe remaining in wilderness. Did you get that? In Attenborough's lifetime, 93 years, 93 years of him exploring the world, exploring the wilderness, we've gone from a world population of 2.3 billion to 7.8 billion. Carbon in the atmosphere has gone from 280 parts per million to 415 parts per million. And the remaining wilderness in the world has decreased from 66% to 35%. We stand at the overlook and what we see should be horrifying to us, overwhelming. It is unsustainable. But we see that only if we look at it and recognize what we are seeing. That is disturbing enough, but the most distressing part of the movie is what he predicts will happen to the planet in the next 90 years if we continue as we have till now. The things he will not live to see, of course, and many of us won't live to see either, but our children likely will and our grandchildren certainly will. What will happen if we do not take steps to restore healthy ecosystems and what he predicts is devastation, not just for nature, but for us. Is it too late? He makes the case that, quote, the living world will endure, but we humans cannot presume the same. We have come this far because we are the smartest creatures that have ever lived, he says, but to continue we require more than intelligence. We require wisdom. In other words, being smart is not enough. We have to be wise, and we haven't shown ourselves to be wise so far. We stand at the overlook. We may not cross over. But is it a promised land that awaits our children and their children and their children's children? Ironically, as we sit with the scripture of Moses standing at the edge of the wilderness, looking over into the promised land, David Attenborough would say that quite literally, what we need more of isn't land flowing with milk and honey, but we need more wilderness. We don't need more consumption. We need to give nature more space. We don't need more exploitation. We need more responsible behavior. We don't need more control. We need more respect. As I think about us as a congregation in this regard, maybe the most important things we have done, the most important testimonies we have made in recent memory haven't been any program or any presentation, anything we've sung or spoken, any live stream we've sent out, any staffing we've undertaken. 
But maybe in light of what I've been reflecting about this morning, one of the most important things we have done in recent memory has been the solar panel project that we completed last fall. When we were working through the decision-making process, I found myself thinking that from a financial perspective, we couldn't afford not to do it. We found out that over the lifetime of the solar panels, we could save more than a million dollars in energy costs, if I remember correctly. I thought that fact in itself was a potent argument for moving forward, the thing that would seal the deal for anyone having second thoughts. But now, even though the savings are stacking up in our Duke Energy account, I am more and more thinking that the savings in dollars is actually a side benefit. What actually matters is that we are investing in the well-being of our planet through harnessing and contributing renewable energy. We are in this very small way when you compare it to the bigger planetary picture, not just standing at the overlook and wringing our hands about an uncertain future, but we are in a positive and responsible way helping to shape a future that we may not even see, but for which we are responsible nevertheless. And trees, Every native tree that we've planted here on the property, that started years ago as a mentor project. And then more recently, just in recent months, in fact, every tree that you've donated and Dave Good has planted, every one of those trees is a gift to the planet, a small testimony to the importance of biodiversity. And Dave, for example, as he has planted trees, knows full well that he's not planting for his own pleasure or his own benefit, but planting for a future that is beyond himself, that is beyond ourselves. It would have been better if we had planted all those trees 20 years ago. But today is not too late. We stand at the overlook, whether we choose to or not, and what do we see? What do we hope to see? Will we cross over? Does it matter? Or is the work we've done to get this, to this point the thing that matters? And what we pray for most fervently is that somehow we will have the will and the wisdom to turn the corner toward a sustainable future. We stand at the overlook and we look across to the very future of this planet. We catch a glimpse of what could be, even if we will not go there ourselves. Or how about the more immediate overlooks at which we stand, standing at the edge of an election, standing at the edge of a surge of the virus with new levels of hospitalizations and deaths as we move through the fall and into the winter. Maybe we are always standing at one important overlook or another, looking, wondering, what's on the other side? A promised land? An uncertain future? Will we cross over or will that be for others to do? What have we done in our lifetimes to bring us to this place? Does life need us in order to go forward? Is life pleased with us, grateful to us? Have we lived with integrity? 
making the best of opportunity? Have we laid down a legacy, not just a backward-looking one, but a forward-looking, growing and planting, renewing and sustaining legacy? I can't help but come back to my wondering about Moses and what he was thinking there at the overlook. Was he sad or relieved or uncertain, hopeful or worried, satisfied, regretful? Maybe it's timely for us to wonder the same things about ourselves. At what overlook are we standing? What has brought us here? What have we done and what have we left undone? What will happen to those who cross over to the next chapter, even if we aren't among them? What is our prayer for the future, for the future of our planet, of our family, of our nation, of our congregation, of our community? Are we praying for renewal, for healing, for sustainability? And if so, how has that prayer been supported by our actions, our intentions? That is, what have we promised What have we planted and what have we actually done to support our prayers? If the Israelites didn't need Moses in order to be able to cross over into the promised land, these times certainly don't need us to make the crossing, to be the people who inherit the future. We may or may not make it to the promised land, but that doesn't absolve us of responsibility for the now. The trends are troubling. Here at the Overlook, we should be thinking about what's next and how we will, at the very least, support and help humankind to cross over to something more healing, something more sustainable. If there is to be a promised land, If there is to be a land flowing with milk and honey, it has to be less about the selfish wishes and passive reactions of each one of us standing here in this moment than it is about promoting the good of all and caring for the generations to come. It has to be. Please pray with me. God of the ancestors and God of the future. Help us to stand at the very edge of the overlook, keeping that careful balance between humility and responsibility. Help us to think less about our own accomplishments than about the well-being of future generations. We confess our selfishness and short-sightedness especially in regard to the natural world. We pray that it is not too late and that wilderness would not be something we seek only to escape or exploit, but to honor and respect. 
Help us to make decisions and commitments that look far beyond our own lives, our own comfort, our own benefit. Help us to dedicate ourselves to renewal and sustainability. Help us to see the true measure of greatness in the willingness to be faithful across an earthly lifetime and in the willingness to trust your vision for creation into eternity. May it be so. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent reflection.